Hello, this podcast is brought to you by Airs on Air, global mobility inspired thinking. The topic of this episode is logistics changes in the global mobility industry. Our discussion includes Airs team members, Jeff Wangler, CEO, Brandy Thorne, manager of international household goods, Gigi Fetchko, manager of domestic household goods, Bob Smith, manager of logistics, and Laura May Carmack, manager of corporate compliance quality. I'm Sheila McKell. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Airs on Air. Uh, Bob, question for you. Spot rates, how have they changed, and how has the definition of a spot rate changed? Jeff, pre-pandemic, spot rates meant reaching out to find the lowest rate we could with the best service. Um, Post-pandemic, the new change, the new normal is reaching out, looking to find space. We're we're finding that space is very limited with air freight. Um, We are looking at many different options and we're weighing the uh, cost versus the transit in many cases. There are cases where we're looking and we just can't find space and we may have one airline that suits that move and we're paying premium expedited charges for that type of service. What are some root causes in the United States? A lot of the delays in the U.S. that we're seeing right now in backlogs are created by the fact that we just don't have enough drivers in the U.S. for drayage. We're seeing containers not being able to be drayed off the ports due to the railheads being congested because we don't have drivers to pull the containers from the railheads and clear the railhead. We're seeing appointment times needed at the ports and at the rails. Lack of labor at the ports are causing pickup and delivery delays. We're seeing appointments needed at the ports. If we can't get an appointment at the port, we may miss a cutoff. Missing a cutoff can delay that shipment up to maybe a week or two, depending on when the next available sailing is. That all adds to cost. We're trying to mitigate all the cost and delays that we can for our customers. We're trying to plan that perfect trip for that container. You know, when you talk about the delays and the lack of truck drivers and things, that brings up a great point. Uh, In our last meeting, one of the things that was brought up that people don't really normally think about if you look at it through a U.S. perspective, but through a European perspective, 50% of truck drivers and packers and things in Germany and in some other uh, European areas are actually Ukrainian, uh, uh, they're Ukrainian citizens. So what happened when the war started too, so we already have the truck driving shortage in in Europe, and then all of a sudden this war breaks out where if you're under a certain age, you have to go back to Ukraine uh, to help fight the war. So that made an already bad situation worse. And uh, I just thought that was an interesting perspective too. Yeah, Jeff, I noticed too, in working with Bob that Whenever we return containers, we used to be able to take them really far in advance of a vessel departing. So the steamship lines didn't seem to care when you dropped off your container. You could just take it, leave it, and then when the vessel came in, it got on it. Kind of like, like standing at the bus stop, right? You could stand there as long as you want, but when the bus comes, you get on. Now, they're so particular, and the gap of when you can go 
to the, the, uh, the bus stop or return your container, it's so much shorter. And then sometimes it's only a matter of hours. You know, we'll give you these four hours to return this container. So it puts even more pressure on the truckers to try to, to get in at that exact moment. And uh, it's making that a lot more challenging. Yeah, we talked a lot about per diem uh, too at one of our last meetings where we used to be able to control a little bit more. Things are so, you know, so uh, volatile and so different out there now that, uh, you know, we have to try to negotiate to get uh, demerge and per diem uh, many times delays that are caused by the steamship line themselves or because a port closed or because of the many delays. As you know, there's a container ship upon container ship waiting to get in the port of Long Beach. And these are things and delays that uh, are just unheard of, uh, especially because of the length of time. Sometimes ships go to a port and then leave. Uh, one of the things we found is uh, we're just getting charged to merge and per diem uh, from uh, from everybody now, even in areas and times that, um, you know, it's not even our fault. We will go back and negotiate and things, but it's a, it's a totally different situation. The steamship lines and the transportation companies really own the, the final uh, step of the process and uh, they're flexing their muscles. But thankfully, uh, our, our group uh, helps with that and we do uh, get those guys involved when we need to negotiate and things of that nature. Yeah, Jeff, to add to that, our in-house logistics team is disputing those charges, um, any charges that would be triggered by steamship line delays. Once we have pulled a container and, and the steamship line makes any changes to that booking, um, to date, I know we have mitigated um, over 50,000, and I know there's about another 25,000 pending. And that's a whole new process. That's all those extra steps that we never had to do kind of pre-COVID that got added as a result of you know the challenges in the industry. Jeff, does do AIRS clients benefit from our membership with OSA? Yeah, I mean, quite a bit. I used to work at the steamship lines uh, long ago in the early 80s. Uh, back then there was you know open capacity and it was really a buyer's market. Now it's it's actually the exact opposite. We're uh, negotiating, the OSA does a great job of negotiate, negotiating rates and then also slots on ships. So we have uh, several lines that we get guaranteed slot, slots on ships, which gives us some flexibility. Uh, as you know out there from, from doing your job every day, um, every call now, instead of making one call to book a, a vessel and book a container, it might take several. We heard some stories uh, at our last uh, OSA meeting that talked about people having to make 30 or 40 calls just to get a slot uh, on a ship. And then, then the way it's running now with all the delays, you're not even guaranteed that that, you, that ship will call the port that you wanted it to or deliver on time. So it really is exacerbated and made it tough. But I wouldn't, uh, one of the things I made the comment in our last meeting, I wouldn't wanna be without OSA because we have strength in numbers and we have large amounts of uh, of the, you know, the largest household goods container shippers uh, in the industry in that group. Uh, not everybody's involved and not everybody can get in, uh, but the ones that do certainly have some, uh, some clout because we represent uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of containers a year. And the great thing about OSA uh, and household goods as a commodity is that it comes and goes from every place 
in the world. So the steamship lines vie for our business because they, you know, when they have areas that they need containers in, they know that they'll always be household goods people that they can call on. That helps us quite a bit. And also, especially now, uh, and it, you, we all are talking about how hard it is, but to have these two people over in uh, the Netherlands where they can negotiate directly with the steamship lines if there's an issue or if a container got bumped or things like that, which is now an everyday occurrence, it certainly helps to have people that do this for a living uh, and, and also represent uh, the, the thousands and thousands of containers a year that OSA does. So that's a real big benefit for our clients. Jeff, I'd also like to add to that, that the OSA has instituted a forecasting tool this year, which uh, we are encouraging our clients to, to book early so that we can forecast that data to the steamship lines and try to reserve that space in advance. I'm glad you brought that up, Bob. That's one of the things that we're really excited about. And we've, we have three uh, lines that have piloted with us with this program. So what, what it does, exactly what you said, we give them our, uh, our forward bookings and how far out, uh, obviously the, farther, uh, the further out it goes, the better. And this allows them to, uh, to look and look for, for freight that they're looking for so that they'll book it with us quickly. And it also allows them to, to, uh, you know, to, to forecast for themselves and their ships but it really helps us out uh, because it enables them to look at us and say, hey, we want these containers, we want these rates and these, these lanes, and we want this to work uh, for us. So it's a good two-way street. Uh, and it's uh, as far as I know, it's the, the only one in the industry and it really has been helpful. And it's in, in its infancy, but we're getting better at it as we both, uh, as, as we all work together. Uh, and that's how we're gonna get out of this by working together and also uh, helping each other figure out uh, the, the next steps to get a, to get the whole industry uh, out of this uh, out of this delay you know and all the the different uh, issues that we're facing Jeff when you go to bid what are we seeing in the market currently yeah you know uh, if, if you can put aside the issues that we're having now you know because of covid and, and supply chain one thing I, I have to say I do see every one of the steamship lines is getting better at technology they're using technology to their advantage, uh, as, as we will mention uh, on this call. Uh, they're getting better at forecasting. They're getting better at locking in uh, people uh, that have continuous freight and continuous movement from point A to point B. I do see that. Uh, they are willing, uh, as they have been in the past, to negotiate for large volume, especially in the areas that they need it. If they need all kinds of equipment, which they normally do, in China, because that's where the, the massive amounts of uh, commodities are produced. If you have freight going into there, they're very, very uh, willing to negotiate and, and get uh, especially areas uh, in the world that they need. So that I think is a compliment to them. They are also now announcing in the past couple of years, most of them, if not all of the larger steamship lines are building new, more efficient and larger ships. Uh, the only problem is they aren't going to be ready for another few years. And this goes for the ports as well. There's lots of talk about new and super ports and uh, more efficient ports. That's great. And there are some in there. You know, there are some very large and efficient ports uh, in the world right now. There are just not enough of them. But these ports will take six, eight or 10 years to build. So that's why our prediction still is going to be 
these supply chain issues are going to carry on through this year and probably into next. Um, and, and another thing we talked about at the last meeting too, is there's not one body or one individual pushing this industry to get better and to work together. We're all doing it individually. Uh, and again, thankfully that we have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, we have a lot of business and, and we get the attention of the steamship lines. Uh, but there's a lot of work to do, and uh, I think you're going to see this last for some time now. Jeff, that kind of leads into my next question. How hard is it to provide rates right now based on the current market? Yeah, um, look, I should spin these this question back to you guys because you do this on a daily basis. Um, okay. Every day you do have rates. Uh, we, we OSA has rates in a tariff, um, and we have them. They... Uh, almost every day is a negotiation and it's uh, it's trying to get slots. It's trying to get a reasonable rate. Uh, and as I keep saying, I wouldn't not want to be in OSA right now because uh, some of the steamship lines aren't working with any brokers. Some of the steamship lines are choosing the best commodities. And, and again, only because the market is at, uh, in an upheaval right now, is that a possibility? Uh, but going forward, when it, uh, you know, it will normalize and things will get better. Um, but to me, I think that a lot of these rates are negotiated. Uh, you really, if you want a container and you want to slot on a ship, that's where it starts. And then you have to do some negotiating. Thankfully, again, we have a large amount of business and that helps us quite a bit and collectively with the whole group. Uh, it's the largest household goods shipping group in the world. And I can add from the air freight perspective, we are seeing three to four times more quotes that we are doing um, based on the fact that just the normal tariffs don't apply anymore. So we're reaching out for air freight rates when we are quoting the move, we're reaching out when we're booking the move um, and we're reaching out again when it's time to actually book the move and get it picked up and, and service to the airline we may have three or four different quotes for a certain move before that move even takes place. Uh, there may be a delay. We may be quoting it two or three times before it moves. So I would say the volume of our quotes in general are up three to four times over normal. With Ocean Freight, I think we are, we are trying probably between three and four lines before we actually get a booking achieved at times. Is it safe to pay fees for expedited container service? Well, that's an interesting question, Jeff. Um, I think it's important to beware of wolves in sheep's clothing because there are definitely opportunists that are trying to capitalize on the fact that the market is the way it is and it's tough to um, you know, secure space on a vessel if you're not an OSA member or if you don't have uh, you know, a team like Bob's. But they are out there and they're they're promising, oh yes, we'll get you on this vessel and we'll, we have all this space. And it's, it's just not true. Um, I can understand our transferees have a deep sense of urgency. You know, there's a passion to get set up and get things back to normal. And everybody wants that stability, um, especially in this changing world. But, you know, we wanna have their transferees have their goods quickly too. But there always seems to be someone out there that's trying to, uh, you know, rock that boat. And airs, you know, we pride ourselves on our code of ethics and our anti-bribery and anti-corruption policies, anti-money laundering. And 
I can tell you there have been quite a few emails that have gotten uh, exchanged where some of our staff say, we got this strange email from this company and you know they say they can perform miracles for a small fee. And you think, oh, okay. And when we check them out, they're all fly-by-nights. You know, they're, they're, they're opportunists out there. So we really need to be careful. Plus, we need to be especially on our toes to make sure that the money that we're investing in the services that we're providing and paying for the ocean freight or air freight services, that it is going to the right partners. And that partner management is such a huge key. Uh, our partners are following the same anti-money laundering ABC policies, codes of ethics that we are, they extend throughout our partner network. So uh, yeah, it's really important that that everyone's aware of that because there's always someone out there promising that they can perform miracles, uh, you know, for, for extra money. And those are the guys usually that are calling us several months later saying, oh my, we went with another company and we got stuck with all these fees and now our shipment's stuck. What do we do? And we just kind of shake our heads and go, oh, okay, you know, this, that's a problem and uh, not something we recommended, but we'll, we'll help where we can, but we will not pay those expedited fees. They're just um, not something that fits with our company culture and the, the uh, ethics that we stand for. You make a great point uh, with personal information and all the, you know, all the different uh, areas of security, uh, we need to be concerned about that. I guess another bit of advice would be to be very cautious of who you do work with. I probably get two to five emails a week, uh, and certainly I read them because I'm interested and there's so much going on right now, but one of the things uh, you just can't do is you have to be very cautious out there right now. Uh, if somebody's saying they're a broker or they have some new freight system or whatever, because there really is not a whole lot of barrier to entry uh, to become a broker. You have to, you know, you have to sign up and things, but that doesn't prove that you're honorable and that you have clout in the industry and that you know people. Uh, so yeah, great point. I would suggest we're very cautious about that. And then you don't want people's personal information out there uh, as, as we all know, uh, and we're happy to have those security um, guidelines and in place and uh, and strong. So good comment and thank you. Bob, I've heard about trucking drayage brokers. How do they fit in the supply chain? Jeff, with the trucking shortages, everybody's looking to capitalize. So these brokers are popping up constantly. I probably get three or four voicemails a day from somebody looking to sell trucking brokerage, drayage brokerage. The truth is, they charge an expedited fee. The fees are escalated um, right now because trucking prices are up. We're paying exorbitant fuel surcharges as they continue to climb. These brokers are using the same pool of truckers we currently use. Occasionally, they may have relationships due to the area that they're in or the amount of business that they do with one particular trucker that they can leverage that, uh, that dray. But for the most part, they're using the same pool of truckers we are, and we're able to get that um, trucking done at a lower rate because we're buying direct. And Brandy, how do we leverage our partnerships to help navigate through the current environment and through these current changes? 
Yeah, thanks, Jeff, for that question. Um, so first and foremost, uh, as our, our, our supply chain is so robust that it really allows us to have access to who's experiencing what challenges and how they can help us address them for our clients and our transferees. Uh, I, I think that our close-knit global partnerships is one of the biggest assets for our operations teams um, which really helps us to ensure that we have the most current information to share with our clients and transferees. Um, you know, leveraging those partnerships when you have an issue, uh, when there is somebody that maybe can't, uh, can't accommodate a shipment or uh, accommodate a booking, you know, we, we've got these close-knit relationships that, uh, that really help us to, um, you know, that kind of save the day for us, if you will, to, uh, to make international household goods uh, a little bit easier for our clients. And I think the information that they provide us with, uh, not only with what happened with, with COVID times, but also with what they're currently experiencing with container bookings, keeping us updated. Uh, anytime there is an update, giving us that information so that we have that in our hands to share that with our operations. Gigi, so on the domestic side, how is the truck driver shortage affecting domestic moving companies? Well, the driver shortage overall has created many changes um, and challenges for the domestic moving arena, especially what we refer to as our peak season, that being between May and September of a year. One of the things that we've started to see is a lot of our moving companies uh, being very creative and alternating driver capacity. So they are coming up with alternative ways other than having a truck pull up to residence. Um, things like containerizing shipments, uh, capacity trailers, and even in some cases rail. Um, they're trying to compensate for the amount of business that occurs between what we reference to as our peak season. Um, things have changed a lot. We see now a lot of our movers are doing a great job with recruiting and retention to make sure that the driver shortage isn't affecting their business. Um, they're doing that in ways where they are paying incentive pay for great jobs, lack of claims and bonuses. It's been a great recruiting tool. Um, even though we're experiencing that driver shortage, a lot of our partners have maintained their fleets um, fleet size within the last couple years at least. Great, thanks Gigi. And I think that your last statement kind of gave us some information on how that supply chain is impacting driver availability. But um, I, I do wanna ask you, how, how can our clients help themselves? What are some tips? What are some, some things that you're recommending um, where our clients can really help themselves as we are approaching the peak season? Best thing that our client can do is start to realize that, you know, booking a move isn't going to happen um, in two or three weeks. Uh, the lead time today is anywhere between four to six weeks, more like six to eight weeks, especially during what I referenced to those peak times between May and September of a year. Um, I think it's important to realize that you have to start planning a move like you plan that dream vacation. You know, plan it ahead of time. Make sure that all the details are confirmed. Make sure you have confirmation. Make sure your house closings are on the same time, that you're not trying to 
you know, close a home and deliver your goods on the same day. I think all of those specific details and organizing that, again, like you would be organizing your dream vacation, really are going to pay off in the end because you're going to have the exact dates that you want and you're going to get the service that you expect. So Brandy, how are we educating our clients and transferees about the current supply chain challenges and changes? Yeah, that's a great question, Gigi. Thanks for asking it. So, you know, I think first and foremost is setting the expectation, um, having conversations with the client contacts and with our transferees when a new change or an updated change comes about, um, not only explaining what is happening, because people can kind of Read, read the news or watch the news and make their assumptions about what's going on with supply chain globally. But from an, interna an international household goods or a relocation standpoint, I, I think it's our job to give them the information on the why behind what is, a, what is occurring, which will help them better understand the issues at hand and then offer our guidance and uh, our experience on how we can um, you know, mitigate problems and offer solutions. So first and foremost, setting that expectation, letting the clients know what's going on. Um, from a transferee standpoint, our operations team, our mobility specialists that are on uh, the front lines, having those initial consultations and conversations with our transferees, making sure that they know that there, there has to be um, some, some flexibility, that there has to be some detailed planning involved. And then also on our side as well, I think educating our clients and, and giving our transferees information on what we're doing behind the scenes to try and, and again, to use the word mitigate any problems or any, or any challenges and to navigate the changes uh, is, is very important. Uh, and, and those are conversations that are, that are happening, whether it's with our, our sales team or again the operations team that are on the front lines day to day. I think another thing um, that, that we're doing and, and I think we're doing it quite well is uh, working with uh, our, our internal teams, our consulting teams and our marketing teams, creating publications on the, the current and latest changes uh, and, and not only just giving the current change and what's going on, but as those updates come through and as situations get better or as situations or changes get a little worse, we, we wanna make sure we have that in, in some sort of written capacity, whether if it's on our website or if it is uh, through uh, certain you know, briefings or white pages that are sent out. So making the information available and setting the expectations, uh, those are certainly key points. That's great. Um, I know we talked about the U.S. trucking challenges. What trucking challenges do our overseas partners have? Yes, so you know, fuel is impacting the cost of, of trucking in, in Europe. It, it doesn't matter if it's just for standard drayage uh, or if it's for intra-European moves going by truck. Uh, you know, that's definitely part of the, uh, part of the strain um, that our overseas partners are, are seeing in terms of challenges. But um, you know, global conflict certainly has not helped the, the matters in, in dealing with trucking challenges or changes specifically in Europe. 
um, you know, it's, it, it's only made it worse for both fuel and driver capacity. Uh, a lot of drivers that service various parts of Europe, they are from Eastern Europe. And, um, you know, I, I've been reaching out to several partners recently just to have general catch ups and just sessions to, uh, to, to really kind of, you know, get my arms wrapped around, okay, what, what are we seeing in, in other locations? And it seems that they're experiencing similar challenges to uh, to, to what we see on the U.S. domestic side of things when it comes to drayage as well. So our, our overseas partners are seeing those similar challenges for sure. Are overseas partners able to get containers these days? Yes, and, and that's, a, that's, a, that's again a great question. And I, I think, you know, it, it's constantly varying and it varies by market. And, you know, at this time, it currently, Asia seems to be having the most difficulty with getting booking you know, booking things out, uh, just, just the booking, not actually getting, getting the container and making sure the equipment is available, just the actual booking, uh, making those bookings four to six weeks out. So four to six weeks, right? That's, that's, that used to be kind of a general standard door-to-door -door transit time in some markets. And, and now we find that we're having to, uh, to make these bookings uh, just that far in advance uh, to, uh, to, to get a booking and, and to get on a schedule. Um, as, a, as a whole, and, and, and not just focusing on Asia, but our, our supply chain and partner network is, is using that same philosophy uh, to, to book early and to book often. Uh, and I think, again, uh, edu educating our clients to know when relocations are coming down the pike so that we can take these proactive measures and, and, and work with our partners and overseas partners specifically uh, to get containers so that way we're not experiencing any further delays. That this is these are changes going forward. This is the new normal. This isn't going away anytime soon. One of the tips we can give our customers too is, you know, in the past, everything revolved around the home sale, right? So you didn't think about calling the packing crew until you finally had a closing date. Then you called the crew and they, there were always plenty of guys handy to come pack you up and get your stuff out. But that has sort of flipped where now you look, when can I get a container? You know, what's that time frame look like? And housing is easy to sell, right? You put it on the market and they're going like crazy. The demand is so high and the, the supply is so low that anybody that's, you know, selling a home has, has a pretty easy go of it. You almost need to flip the mindset and go, all right, when can I get things moved? What are these containers like? When can that happen? And then uh, I plan my, you know, plan your closing dates or plan other activities around it. But it never used to be like that. It used to always be, well, the closing date was the was that that anchor in the in the ground that everything revolved around. And it's it's really changed um, how we approach the relocation process in order to be successful and not have, uh, you know, minimized temp housing and, and uh, minimized cost all the way around. So it's, it's a philosophy change that I agree it, it, from all predictors and from what uh, everybody says, it's not going to go away. And it's not going to change. Um, th this new change is here to stay for quite some time. This is the new norm. Uh, rates will come down when the when things get better, uh, you know, with with the uh, supply chain. But uh, 
this is uh, more, you know, this is going to be the way it is for a good, a good long time. And we have to get flexible and we have to be smarter about how we do things. Thank you for listening to today's episode. To learn more, go to airs.com and click on our button, learn about changes in mobility logistics. Thank you.